Hey, what's up, everybody? Uh, it is Tuesday, which means it is time for another Hold That Podcast podcast. Welcome in. I'm your host, T-Bob Bear. I'm joined by The Athletic's Brody Miller and uh, this is an athletic podcast. So you go to theathletic.com slash hold that podcast, 40% off. Uh, you get the website access, no ads. It's an incredible website. The best sports site out right now. You get it for like, I don't know what like, it's like a couple bucks a month with the sign up code. So that's athletic.com slash hold that podcast. Go sign up today. Uh, we got a lot to get to today, but first let me welcome in my co-host Brody. What's up, man? How, uh, how you doing? I'm doing pretty well. Uh, it's it's nice to have a little news to actually like discuss or actually just like write about these days with recruiting news and graduate transfer news and we're past the draft and all that. So it's good to have a little something to to actually think about. So I'm starting to get a little more sane. How about you? Um, I'm doing well. Um, I think you said you were doing good. I don't know if that's grammatically correct. It, uh, it is incorrect. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, so just as your editor, you know, I always try to give you little tips and tricks on these shows. I, I've learned in my life if you talk too <laughs> grammatically well, you actually rub people the wrong way. Ooh, so you, think, I talk, you think it sounds a little pretentious? Yeah, so I try to talk like a, nor- like a normal person and then I try to write correctly. That's how I – like, for example, uh, some of my, like, okay. you know, friend groups, like, I've gotten – a lot of flack for like always using correct punctuation, for example. And they're like, what's your deal? Like, are you mad? Like, like using the right punctuation makes it look like you're mad over text. And I, I've also learned that if you try to <laughs> that speak is true. Too, that too is well. true, dude. You can never be throwing a uh, you can never be throwing a period in after a sentence on a text or I, I learned that the hard shit. way. I like one well, of my best friends just thought he was I was pissed at him for, for months and I'm like, no man, I'm just, <laughs> just trying to be correct here. <laughs> Um, that's a good spin zone, by the way, on your good answer. Uh, so you you mentioned writing, though, Brody, and we do have we do have some actual newsy things to talk about. But first, while we're talking about the athletic, I would like to tell people to go read your piece on uh, Ella. Here you go, babe. Coloring book. Sorry, uh, on <laughs> LSU video coordinator uh, Doug Oquan, uh, the man, Doug, a guy that. I uh, I guess was there when I was at school, but it's a great piece about a uh, unheralded part of the program. So go check that out. But like you said, there's been news, there's been transfers. Um, we'll start where the game starts, Brody, up front in the trenches. LSU uh, said they wanted a transfer lineman as one of their targets in this spring, and they have now ended up with the all-Ivy leaguer, from Harvard, a Harvard econ uh, graduate, it's I believe. Econ. Th- yep, that's correct. Mr. Liam Shanahan. And if that name sounds Irish, it's because it is. Uh, as I read in your piece, his father actually won, what, a citizenship lottery to come over here when he was 21? He did. Yes. And yeah, then, I mean, he, he, uh, And then on. he goes on to set, uh, so his dad comes over here and, what, he sends three kids to Ivy League schools? And the fourth one probably will be going there too. Yeah, Jesus, dude, I hate people that like. I don't hate them. I'm yes, I just <laughs> hate it. You hate immigrants? No, I hate. Well, yeah, aggressive. Um, no, I hate like when people are so successful that by their own success, just by reading about it or hearing about it, you feel badly about yourself. Like this man comes over at the age of twenty one doesn't graduate college, and has now sent three, going to be four kids to the Ivy League. L- Liam Shanahan's dad is a beast. And uh, and, then, and but, then the one also is going to be an SEC offensive lineman. It's just like, what are they not what, – what what check mark are they not hitting right now? Yeah, it's – I mean, shout out to the Shanahan clan. Um, so, so, Brody, tell me about Liam. Like we said, LSU O-line's the biggest question mark. What's Liam's kind of uh, resume? Why should Tiger fans be excited? Well, I think the funny thing is just, you know, in my time, you know, again, I've, I've lived all over, and in my time covering LSU, it's just – it's more than your average place. You just find bizarre, weird, just kind of fascinating personalities. Like, I've never been anywhere where you just come across more – different kind of cats so of course like when ls when lsu is getting a graduate transfer the one you know the one they get is a harvard educated 
six foot five, three inch ten lineman who with an econ degree from Harvard and has a World Series ring because he just like as a hobby was a groundskeeper at Fenway Park and would hop on the train after practices and go to Fenway to work at night. Like and, and he's still doing it actually. He's just trying to figure it out with LSU. Like it's it's just kind of it's hilarious that just LSU just kind of finds a way to always attract these just ridiculous personas and that's what Liam Shanahan is even before we get into what we think he'll be on a football field I mean he's a really interesting really competitive kind of guy who's just kind of you know he's just one of those guys who's just kind of good at everything you know he's I mean granted most LSU athletes are pretty much good at everything but to be as smart as he is and then to be he he lettered in five different sports in high school because every year he just want to try a different one you know he's just one of those kind of guys so I don't get yeah, it, man. There's I, not I enough hours in the day. I, I it's just, exhausting. I mean, it's it's a it's a dick move, really. How how do you graduate Harvard Econ, play football, and uh, end up as a Red Sox groundskeeper? I I, I didn't, think I didn't put this in the story, but he was possible. saying he's like he was saying you know Harvard isn't that hard, and I'm like because I'm just like okay, like, just be honest <laughs> with me, like what is it like being a Harvard student? And I mean this just kind of back up things that I've heard that like the hard part with a lot of these places is getting in. You know, like yes. once you're there, it's just school, school, school. Okay, to some so that's extent, really but. funny, dude. That is really funny because I was rewatching Social Network the other night, and I was wondering like. How hard is Harvard really? Like, I, I look, I know it's going to be tough, but like, I'm sure it's harder than Indiana and LSU. I, I yeah, do well, believe no, that. Duh, dude. My college was easier than my high school. Getting a general studies degree from LSU was just, it was like borderline mindless. Um, a journalism it, degree is the silliest thing on earth. I, that's, so, my, that's my strong take. So, I think, like, I don't yeah. know. I get maybe I was just being like, I, I was just trying to. Uh, feeling bad about my degree or something, but I was, I was kind of wondering that. Like, if, if you got in, could you do it? Uh, either way, Liam makes it – he makes it seem easy. Um, so, as a Red Sox groundskeeper, uh, did he – he got a World Series ring when they won the World Series? He did, yeah. I mean, he's a full-time – like, like you even look at his LinkedIn bio. It doesn't say anything about football or econ or anything. It says groundskeeper Fenway Park but uh, or Boston Red Sox. But, yeah, no, he has a World Series ring for their – what was that, 2018 title? So, wow. yeah, so he's uh, he's trying – he's got all Ivy League. He's got a degree from Harvard, a World Series ring, and I guess now he's going for uh, some college football titles. And, so, I mean, look, if he's all Ivy League, he can – like that, as far as playing on the field, like that, that speaks to him being pretty good. Have you talked to any of the coaches or anything about uh, how they feel about his like actual on field ability? Obviously, you're going to think that he can get the playbook down and everything because, you know, Harvard, whatever. Yeah, that's kind of what I want to pick your brain about, too, is that I, it's just one of those things, you know, there's certain guys you talk to, the, you know, a Jabril Cox, for example. It's a no brainer. He's coming in to be your star linebacker. I just don't. And this isn't a knock on him. I just think it's it's not one way or the other. I don't think they're expecting Liam Shanahan to come in here and be their their number one offensive lineman or anything like that. I don't think he's some like marquee game changing get like a you know like a Joe Burrow. I bet I bet I think the better comp is probably a Terrence Alexander in the sense that I just get the yeah. sense he's coming here for a few things. And James Craig said this on your show, I believe, is that uh, off the bench one of four point five ESPN uh, is. Up. Is that he was? They were looking for, and I think this is true. Is they were looking for per, a, a certain type of player in the locker room. They wanted a smart guy. They wanted a tough guy, a veteran guy with a chip on his shoulder. That's kind of what they were looking for. Because in general, that interior line right now is going to be pretty young, pretty inexperienced, and I think they like the general talent level in the interior line. But there's not a lot of security. There's just not a lot of not a lot of depth to start. And I think. Yeah, I, I'm fascinated to see, you know, maybe he does compete for some of these spots, but I get the sense, and even he, he doesn't talk like he's somebody who's coming in there to start. You ask his dad, you ask him, and their answer when you ask about what, what kind of thing they might expect there, it's like, we're just coming in there to, like, honestly just, like, compete and kind of see what they can do there, you know? So Yeah. I, but I'm fascinated. Do you think they might like him as a center? Because just from a body type point of view, I feel like that's his, his best match, and that might be where there's a bigger well, need. Well, but is, isn't, he like, isn't he, like, 6'5"? I just feel six, like five, three, ten. Okay, so wow, that's such beautiful. But um, <laughs> but 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 for center, six five is okay. Uh, a slow, well, just slightly tall. It's not at all to say they can't be done. So I'm not going to rule center out for him in the slightest. I mean, Ethan Posick was a damn good center for LSU at what six seven. Also, Ethan Post is one of the only players. Yeah, Ethan Post. He might be six five. He might be six seven. I'll, I'll Google check it, but. 
he might be one of the only players I've ever seen that could literally start at all five positions on the line and not miss a beat. So uh, while that feels tall, sure. Oh, yeah, Ethan, 6'7". Um, while that feels tall, you can't rule that out. And when you're talking about jobs that are up for grabs, so jobs that he could potentially slot in at immediately, I mean, it is center and right guard, right? I mean, uh, when we had O on a couple weeks ago, he was gushing about Dare Rosenthal. Um, so they think Dare Rosenthal is going to be an animal. Austin Deculus is obviously going to continue to hold down his spot. I think Ed Ingram is a definite starter. And then exactly. so we are left with um, – Wow, uh, Chasen Hines as your kind of, and then Joseph Evans who switched over to center, and then uh, wow, did we forget about Cardell Thomas? I mean, is he the is who who do you think's in the lead for that right guard job, not including Liam Shanahan? Like if we take him out, yeah. I've always said that I kind of have a gut feeling Anthony Bradford's probably the front runner at right guard. Oh, yeah, but, that's right. But, but either way, and again, I still think this backs up. The point is that the four names, they basically have four guys going into the, before they got Shanahan that were competing for these two spots. It's it's Chasen Hines, who is still relatively new to the position and is only a redshirt sophomore. And there's Joseph Evans, who just flipped over, and he's a redshirt freshman. The, the guard spot, you got two really talented but raw and kind of have weight problems guys and Anthony Bradford and 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 Cardell Thomas is redshirt freshman for the right guard spot. So that's four guys that, yes, they like the talent, and yes, they like the upside and all these things. And they might be better football players than Liam Shanahan, but that's still four inexperienced, pretty young guys. So even if, you know, we'll see what Liam Shanahan can be, and, and I think he probably can be a perfectly serviceable SEC offensive lineman. I just don't expect him to come in and be a game changer. But the idea of just adding that one extra veteran guy and make that five guys for those two spots and you just have a little more stability and confidence that maybe you can let this talent develop a little more maybe when a guy's banged up you can plug and play this veteran guy when you need it things like that I just think that's the flexibility it brings and when you talk to guys in the LSU staff I didn't even hear much about his talent they just kept talking about his versatility that was the big thing I kept hearing so I just look at him as kind of their their utility lineman from here on out Mm, you know I love a good utility lineman Uh, you've always said that that was my that was my speciality, um, and and you know what you know what those other four that are at LSU right now you know what they haven't ever gotten uh, they've Tell never me. gotten put on the twenty twenty NFF Hampshire Honor Society, and they've never won the Joseph E Wolf Award, uh, which is actually a very prestigious sounding award, but it's just given to the top interior lineman. Uh, both of those on Liam's resume. So yeah, I mean, look, I. We, we, we kind of said it with the Jabril Cox thing. One of the factors in evaluating these transfers is LSU's own history and resume in this regard, and they've been really good with transfers. And I think the Terrence Alexander comp is a perfect one because I don't know that he starts, but he definitely plays. I, I don't. Yep. It's not a stretch at all to say that. And I love that idea of him being that glue guy because even if you end up liking your top five, like on the offensive line, let's say Rosenthal ends up being really good and, and, and you love Ingram and maybe like Cardell or Bradford steps up there and Chase, whatever, you're good to go. Uh, you're still not going to have a lot of depth there. You're especially not going to have any experienced depth there. And Liam literally solves multiple problems at once. Uh, glue guy. I almost think of it as like, I think of it as in basketball when you have, so let's say hypothetical scenario, you draft, you know, that raw one and done nineteen year old center. You know, think of a Jack. This is actually here, here's my comp or something. It's not a great one, but you know, the the Pelicans draft Jackson Hayes, right? And you know, he's mm. a high upside center, but he's pretty raw. It's not like mm. he can come in and be a twenty five minute a game guy. Yeah, but you love his talent. You want to oh. go get a veteran center. But in 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 the Pelicans case, it was Derek Favors who was the starter. But maybe it's a a 36-year-old Tyson Chandler who is the backup. You know, like yeah. something like that just to provide some stability. And it's not about minutes or who starts, but it's about I don't think that the young guy can grow as well unless he just has that stability and that veteran guy with them. It's like it kind of unlocks him a little bit is how I view it. And I think that's sometimes the value of some of these transfers, which Terrence Alexander is the great comp. It really is because I don't, you know, I think he kind of needed to be there for, say, uh, a Kerry Vincent to develop like he did. That's just my my, my take on the matter. Yeah, and then when people got hurt and you were, you were down the bowl game, like he he had to play big roles, and uh, and 
and he did that. So uh, I, I like this move, and I think it's also uh, indicative of something that you wrote about recently too, Brody, which is that character is um, a large factor in all of this coaching staff's decisions. And that's not to say that Liam just like has good character because whatever, you know, it sounds like he does. Uh, but, but, but it seems like through what you're saying that the coaches weighed that in talking to him and recruiting him now, now this idea of him at center is kind of interesting and maybe I'm, and that's me talking out of my, out of my behind. Maybe I'm just falling guilty to like the mental side of it and you gotta be able to make the calls and it's just real easy to believe that like, uh, you know, Harvard econ major can make those calls. So I, I will watch Liam's situation with great interest, um, but but as it stands now, man, I mean, you look at this recruiting class. They had 22 commits. Uh, they have now basically added Jabril Cox and Liam Shanahan to that list. Uh, what did, were the two lightest positions we discussed going into the offseason? Linebacker, O-line. I mean, I, I feel like this is a really another really solid grad transfer period from this LSU staff. Uh, are they done? Are they, are they going to get a third guy? What do you think? My gut, I think they're still looking. I absolutely think that, but my gut feeling is, is they that third that last spot left. I think if it's up to them, it would be hoping that things can get figured out with Cameron Jackson's uh, the defensive tackle from Louisiana. Oh, okay, you know he's basically he's an academic situation where you know he didn't sign because his academics aren't figured out. But now there's so much gray area right now with what's going on with you know with school shut down and everything like that. What's going on with some of these situations where guys are trying to become eligible? You know, it, there's there's talk of is it going to be a pass fail situation at this point? You know, because it's you know things are so not you know so gray right now i i think there's just so much up in the air with how their teams and this is across the country teams are dealing with this and probably something you need to write about is just how they're how they're handling that but i think if cameron jackson can get eligible i think they'd be really happy to have him as take that spot because they okay. really like his upside they think he is a from a physicality point of view could be a great defensive tackle so that'd be my my right now guess on what they do there but i think so, they're probably looking at all avenues so has max johnson made them comfortable enough to not take a transfer quarterback in this class? I just continue to go back to this thing of as much as everyone wants to suggest that, and I think LSU's looking at it. I'm not naive to that. I think I think they're, they're the kind of place that's looking at every scenario and being prepared for what they might need. So I think they definitely are in, you know, looking around at guys. But I just keep going back to who who do you think they would take? You know, it's like – and no one's – you be, the reason they would go grad transfer, right, isn't to – replace miles brand they'd be getting yeah. a grad transfer the same reason they're getting a liam shanahan actually it's to get somebody just to make you feel a little better about your depth there right because so, you have two red two true freshmen as your backups right now what grad transfer is gonna agree to that for his last year of eligibility to go be a backup mm, to great and, point. And, and if they are that means they might not be worth a damn you know so yeah. i just don't see anyone that really makes sense but i'm not ruling it out at all well, I mean, it's not even about the person. I think what you just laid out is key there. It's just a situation that makes no sense. So, like, yeah, there's never going to be there's never going to be anybody that wants to come that will then be better than Max Johnson that that will want to come exactly. sit on the bench, yeah. but is better than Max Johnson, or it makes more sense to him. Like it, at that point, it doesn't even make sense to invest resources in that player versus investing them in Max Johnson. Like, if you like Max Johnson this much, I think you just have to hit him with the kind of like. Look, man, you're a freshman, but you have a lot of responsibility, you know, and like this is your role on this team, and it's a huge role, and you just got to see how he responds. Completely agree. And uh, then speaking of quarterbacks, I guess we should lead into the other quarterback news. Wow. So beautiful. Uh, Thanks, yeah. So Garrett Nussmeyer uh, has committed to LSU. Um, we talked a few weeks ago. He was like on the edge of committing, and then COVID hit, and he wanted to take more visits. He cut it, and I was like, "Ask yeah, He ends up committing to LSU. Um, his father, longtime coach. His father. Uh, well, you, you know all the connections better. Than I do lay out Garrett, Garrett Nussmeyer's kind of lineage and his myriad of connections to LSU. Well, yeah, you start with the Doug Nussmeyer and Scott Linehan relationship, which I think obviously Linehan came in very late in the process, and I don't think that's why Nussmeyer was ever going to OSU, but you can't leave it out, is that Doug Nussmeyer was a quarterback for Idaho when Scott Linehan was the OC there. So he played for him, and then he was the quarterback's coach on Scott Linehan's Rams staff. And then when Linehan was the OC of the Cowboys, I mean, 
Doug Nussmeyer is now the quarterback's coach and was under him for, for two years there. So they've he's basically grown up with Scott Linehan his entire life. And then and I actually even forget some of the connections, but the Nussmeyer connection to the LSU community is ridiculous. Where I mean you have Russ Calloway, which is a huge I mean, I think he's actually becoming yeah, he mentioned he mentioned Russ Calloway. We interviewed Garrett this morning, and he mentioned Russ Calloway specifically. Yeah, he is kind of becoming, I think, that ro- that that staffer that's like the closest thing you're going to find to a Joe Brady right now in this staff. Just he's an analyst, but the way people talk about him, I mean, Ensminger trusts him at ridiculous lengths right now, and I think he's kind of becoming that. Or even like a George Munoz in the sense that he's almost like the third OC right now. But you know, Russ, Russ Calloway came from Samford as an OC the last four years and was really successful, but. Russ Calloway was on Doug Nussmeyer's Alabama staff as a as a GA or an analyst, you know. So he's known. He, uh, he even mentioned, yeah, he's known Russ Calloway for years. And then obviously, just the fact that Nussmeyer's been, you know, he's well. First off, they're from Lake Charles. You start there, so yeah, there's so many. Yeah, Louisiana how would, how was he born in Lake Charles? Because that that is one thing he considers himself a Louisiana kid. He was saying, like for whatever that's worth, and and it seems like the staff kind of does as well. Uh, but well, it doesn't matter how. Whatever he was born like Charles. Continue. <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, but yeah, you just have the fact that you know Doug Nussmeyer was at Florida and he was at Alabama and he's been around. So, and I, I, again, I am forgetting because there were like one or two other like really big connections. But the point is, I just think there's a really deep throughout the entire LSU staff connection between Nussmeyer, his dad, and now Garrett and all that. I mean, Steve Ensminger was one of the first. I think he was he the first person to our first major person to offer LSU was Nussmeyer the first, back. He, so yeah, he said this morning he's pretty emphatic in it that not only was LSU the first to offer him a scholarship, but that they recruited him the hardest and the most consistently. So it's like he was talking about weekly talks, you know, for however long with Coach O and Ensminger. And it sounds like they've just done a really good job of like staying on top of him and making him feel very wanted. And I just think there's some, the thing I keep going back to with, with, and I think Nussmeyer is just a good example of this is I think you're going to start seeing. And I think the seeds have been planted for about a year and a half now, but I just think this is the first quarterback that's really representing it because the first one it's paying off for is LSU has been changing what it pursues in quarterbacks. And I think, I mean, you would know way better than, than myself, but I think if you look back at the quarterbacks on average that LSU has kind of recruited over the last, you know, I'd say decade, but probably a little more than that, is they love tools, guys, right? They've always kind of fallen in love with, I hate using the word projects, but guys who were a little bit more of projects, guys who maybe had a massive arm but didn't really have all the other stuff down, or guy was a great dual threat athlete, all these things, these guys who were tools guys who had so much potential but needed to be developed. I mean, to, to be honest, I don't know what Les Miles was. Like, I didn't, I, I'd never understood <laughs> at the end, especially what the quarterback strategy was. Because it just, it just felt like he wanted to recruit these dynamic athletes and then make them play in this like stale, uh, pro-style system. And so I, I don't know. It's like so weird trying to judge how how LSU was just evaluating and, and pursuing quarterbacks at that time. And to your point, the vision feels much more consistent now when you look at this recent run in terms of like, okay, this is style offense we want to run, and these players uh, look like they could work within this system. And, and, yeah, to build on that, I mean, and you nailed it, it's that – it's that the, it's. I think this is across college football. To be clear, I think most teams are becoming smarter about things like this. But and I and I've talked to recruiting people about this. I remember talking to Joe Brady and DJ Mangus about this when they first got here in the spring. Was that they want guys who are. It's more about processing ability now. Is when you're looking at quarterbacks. It's not about yes. having a cannon arm. It's not about all those things. It's about you know, can you read a defense? Can you make a quick decision? Can you be in, like? Can you be accurate? It's accuracy in in, in processing. Accuracy and decision making, for. dude. We've said it. We, yes, we say it all the time. It's it's what my, and this is just where, the benefits of having an NFL quarterback father come into play is like 100%. that. That that's literally what he has told me since I've been like eight years old. It's not about the arm strength. It's not about. I mean, if you have those things, like if you're like a Patrick Mahomes. And you can process, and you have a cannon. Then, like, yeah, or you're like Lamar Jackson. <laughs> We're not saying you, arms aren't good. Yes, yeah. yes. Like, or you're like Lamar Jackson, and you're a hyper athlete that can make the decisions. Like, yeah, then you end up as NFL MVPs. But um, if push comes to shove, yeah, it's like almost at quarterback. It's like 
screw, screw arm strength especially, uh, but physical ability. Can you do you know where to go with the ball and can you put it there? That's the simplest way. Exactly. Do you know where it, to go? It is. And can you put it in that window? And that's something that Burrow obviously excelled at. And then I remember talking to some recruiting guys recently, and they and they were talking about, and this isn't just LSU, but it's that in college football these days, it just doesn't really work if you come in undeveloped. You know, and and, and Ross Dellinger, Sports Illustrated, wrote a great piece last year, I believe, about oh, how freshman quarterbacks are, are t- freshman quarterbacks are kind of taking over college football. But it's, I just think there's something to this idea that you need to come in developed now. And have you know the footwork things and the, and all those little like just nuances of being a quarterback. Coaches aren't taking you in to teach you how to be a quarterback anymore. They're going to teach you scheme stuff. They're going to teach you how to read stuff. They're going to do all that. But and sure, there are exceptions. I think Steve Ensminger actually takes the most pride in, in teaching quarterbacks. But I just think it's really about you need to be developed now. You need to have that decision making, all those things, and then you can learn the offense and all that. And that's how you take another step in college. I just don't think LSU's out there trying to recruit big old projects with with cannons anymore because i think it's just it's too hard to develop those guys and then by the time they're developed they're they're juniors or seniors and i just think that doesn't work in in 2020 anymore yeah and and it just speaks to i mean kind of youth sports in general right just, just in Good terms point. of like the resources available to learn like you can go on i mean you go to youtube and learn anything in the world anything now it doesn't always work. Like sometimes some things are harder than others. I, I managed to change a light bulb in my headlight, and I felt like a genius. I basically felt like a NASA scientist. But then I tried to fix a toilet, and I fucked it up, and made it worse, and had to get the entire toilet replaced. But you can go on YouTube. You can find all kinds of quarterback tutorials, O line tutorials, and then you look at the year round camp circuit. Um, like uh, like like these personal coaches that, that that you see all through social media and 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 yes, people are refining at a way younger age than they used to it. And I think at a position like quarterback, where that that workload that you're asked to do is so much higher than these other positions, that refinement takes so much longer. That's a really that's a really interesting point that I never actually considered. Is that and, you're right? The the project guys are tough to make work nowadays, and there's always somebody like I mean, like talking to Garrett Nussmeyer. I was laughing so hard to myself talking to Garrett Nussmeyer this morning. I mean, this kid's like 17, maybe 18, and when he does interviews, he already has that like, I understand that I have to be here doing this, but I'm so fucking old and tired and i'd rather be like playing football he already has that like i'm being a professional and i'm doing this interview and i'm saying all the right things but i'm completely bored with it it's like how burrow interviews it's like how drew Brees interviews it's just it it was kind of crazy to me and it's kind of funny if you if think back at the last three i'm considering him brought in because i feel like he's pretty solid lsu i'd be pretty shocked if he doesn't end up there The, the last three quarterbacks lsu brought in that they're actually excited about let's put it that way you know they're, they're actually really high on and i would say they're joe burrow max johnson gary nussmeyer what do those three guys have in common they are one's the son of a veteran def- college defensive coordinator one's the son of an nfl super bowl winning quarterback and one's the son of another nfl quarterback yeah. and a current quarterbacks coach in the nfl and there's something to that and you and you also look at jack marucci and what some of the stuff he does and and you know the studies he likes doing and he just loves studying how to replicate success and how and how you can find common traits and whatnot that will lead to success. And I'm not saying this is a, a really complicated one. I think that's a common thing. People love coaches' sons. But I'm just saying it's interesting that they have found three guys who follow a very, very similar kind of pedigree. Yeah, look, don't 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 let coaches fool you either. Um well, I don't know that they're trying to fool anybody, but coaches love bloodlines. Love it. Love it. It's it's and Take this as you will, but it's it's honestly it's no different. I think with when when they're like in the real meat market, right, and and they're viewing these players just like 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 chips to be moved around. It, it's almost like racehorses, where if if you come from this stable, if you've been studded by this guy, yeah, they're gonna they're gonna give you a little extra look. I had multiple coaches talk about that when when I was going through be recruited, and, and honestly, you see it a lot, right? You see like fathers and sons like. Like Cam Jordan, NFL All-Decade member. His dad was a beast in the league. So, yeah. And the and athletic now, hired me because they wanted the son of Bob yep. Miller, shampoo magnate. You know, hey, it's, it's a – Hey, hey, fuck Bob Miller, dude. <laughs> I'm just kidding, Bob. I love you. I'm sorry. I just You got me that one time. 
He does listen, so. Yeah. Um, I know, I know. And I'm going to steal all of your son's takes for my own. They are mine now. <laughs> All right, we're not uh, going down that path again. And the last <laughs> thing I want to revisit on, on Nussmeier, and before we move on to our, our whatever we're doing next, is I just think the wrinkle in this that makes this so fascinating is the Caleb Williams situation. Okay, and that's, I think that's all started, my notes. Where does LSU sit with my Caleb guy, Williams? Mind meld. Uh, it's, it's, it's a fascinating thing, and I think it's starting to resolve itself, to be fair, but I think the way they had to finesse this, and I think both almost I think there were like four parties involved trying to figure out kind of how to finesse some of these situations because – Okay, let's start here. I think LSU was one of the two main frontrunners with Caleb Williams, who, just for those who don't know, he's the five-star dual-threat quarterback, top-ten recruit in the country from D.C. Everyone wants him. LSU and Georgia were probably the frontrunners last fall, and Joe Brady was a huge, huge part of why Caleb Williams loved LSU. Joe Brady leaves for the Panthers, as we all know, and you know, I don't. And LSU wasn't out of it or anything, but you know, I think it kind of it just dropped his, his interest rating a little bit, pretty naturally. I don't think. I just don't think you know Scott Linehan sucking him in as much, but I, he's still interested. Oklahoma started, to, and then Georgia signed Brock Vandergriff, the five-star quarterback, so they were out of it. So all of a sudden, it became some mixture of, and now the final three is Maryland, Oklahoma, and LSU, and Oklahoma. All indications show are the heavy front runner right now. All the crystal balls are going toward them. I think he's a great relationship with Lincoln Riley. Shit. But LSU's still in it, and what stings is that for LSU is Caleb Williams was very adamant they were going to visit two more times. Like they really like LSU, they really want to get some answers on some things. He was going to come down two more times. Once this spring, I think, and then once in the fall. Then all of a sudden, coronavirus hits, and he's not coming Fuck. down this spring. And now all of a sudden everything's in limbo. And then who's the team that's in the in the heavy lead when this all goes down? It's Oklahoma. Ugh. And then you add in the Nussmeyer situation. And Nussmeyer's high on LSU. And LSU's always been thinking two quarterbacks for this class. That was the plan. Nussmeyer yeah. knew that. Nussmeyer might have committed a year ago if if it wasn't kind of just waiting that situation out. And now then you have to be like, well, if we sign, if we commit Nussmeyer. Is that gonna rub Caleb Williams the wrong way, or if we or if we wait too long and, we, and they pursue Caleb Williams too hard, is that gonna rub Nussmeier the wrong way? You know, I just think there was a lot of kind of dynamics you had to maneuver there, and now it seems like Williams is pretty heavy to Oklahoma, but there's still a ton of time, and I still think LSU is gonna get a visit with him, and, and I still think they're in the mix, but. I mean, I just why would you not go to Oklahoma if you're an elite quarterback, <laughs> though, right? I mean, like, you want to win the Heisen? I mean, sure, I guess LSU won one, but it just feels like – or I, I, what, what is it with – I mean, it just feels like Oklahoma's been – the quarterback's just been out of control over there. It is going to uh, be fun, though, and this is not a knock on them at all. I'm, I'm just – it's. I think we're all kind of technically waiting and seeing is that – Lincoln Riley is a master, and I'm not arguing. I think he's the best offensive coach. Shoot, is it crazy to say the best offensive coach in college football, period? Uh, Steven Springer, but continue. (laughs) But you look at it, and what, he's had three Heisman finalists, or four Heisman finalists in a row, or something like that, but none of them have been developed in-house yet. We just haven't had a Lincoln okay. Riley developed okay. in-house guy. Okay, fair. Now, Spencer Rattler is going to be the guy, right? He's the guy coming up. He's going to be a second-year guy. All indications are he's going to be a stud. He's probably a good Heisman bet if you're looking for value and all those things. Ooh. I think he's going to be really good. But he will be kind of the first real example of somebody actually coming in as a recruit, learning under that offense, and developing. And I'm not saying that's – I assume it will go really well. I'm just really curious to see how that goes over the next you know year or two. Yeah, it's going to be um, – it's, To be it's, clear, LSU also hasn't developed necessarily any proof that they can develop quarterbacks either. Whoa, what are you Joe talking Burrow about, was also dude? a transfer. What are you talking about? Look at the jump Joe Burrow made junior or senior year. That <laughs> I know. He deserves a lot. I, I know. But I, I'm just saying it's no, the same exact – No, no, you're right. You're right. You're, no, you're right. Well, bro, I mean, come on. Look, let's not go ahead. Let's not herald LSU as a quarterback uh, mecca just yet. Okay? It's not, like, no. Yeah, just if Miles that. Brennan turns out good. They deserve credit. And yes, they've proven. Yes. But right now it's one, and that guy was developed by Ohio State. Absolutely. Uh, but but okay. So but the Ohio State thing's interesting, right? Because the interesting part about that Ohio State room is because you're talking about you know Caleb Williams and Nussmeyer, and did you turn one guy off by by taking the other? I almost feel like at this point. You don't try to be like, oh yeah, don't you know, don't 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 worry about that. You know, we signed him, but no, you're like, yeah, it's competition. We want to get the best yeah. players, and if you want to play, you're gonna play. I mean, you look at that Ohio State room, and it worked out for all the parties. Maybe best for LSU. But you look at the Ohio State room; they had four cats in there that ended up on Sports Illustrated covers at one point. <laughs> so, like, it's the best quarterback room in football history, right? I don't think there's ever. 
Uh, yeah, I, I mean, can't look, think of one off the top of my head. Maybe like the BYU ones in the '80s. I don't know. Wow. See, I, I dude, I'm not a good enough sports. Because like Jim McMahon and Steve Young, and I think there was another one. Um, uh, Jim McMahon. Wow, Jim McMahon at BYU. One of the greatest sports ironies of all time. Um. <laughs> anyway, anyway, point B. Yeah, yeah I, I think with Caleb Williams, I think he's just like, yeah, we signed Nussmeyer. I mean, what of it, dude? You want to come win natties? You want to come here? You got to compete if you want to play and uh, and see where right. it goes. Maybe it works out. Maybe it doesn't. I think I think that's the sell. I think there's something to that with both sides, and that's why I would yes. Just I, that's why I'm trying to tell people like don't assume. I, by the way, I don't think Caleb Williams ends up at LSU if that's my guess, but I'm just saying. Don't rule it out because, one, they've been telling Nussmeyer this from the start. They were thinking of two quarterbacks. Like He's not surprised by anything. And then if you're looking at it from the Caleb Williams' point of view, I'll do respect to anyone else in the country. I don't think Caleb Williams is the kind of guy. Like, Caleb Williams is such a star that I don't think he's like, ah, man, they signed another four-star quarterback. You know, like I don't think that's yeah. really factoring into his decision. So that's all I'm saying. So I think if LSU can actually get him on campus, I think they're still theoretically in the mix. That's all I'll add. Let me turn off this uh, stupid little toy that just started talking. Why do kids' toys do that, dude? They just like, it's like nobody even presses a button and they just start talking. It's like they're haunted or something. All right. They're taking over. Leapfrog's out here. Um, okay, Brody. So this is the Hold That Podcast podcast. And um, we have our guy, hey, John Hayes. On the show as? We, we have our guy, John Hayes, here recording. And. Uh, my grandfather met John one time. He was incredibly excited uh, because he knew him as Big Ten John, I think, from the Feinbaum show. And I think now is the time where we talk about a Big Ten guy who has made some waves recently. We might have mentioned it, but I don't think we talked about the full story. I'm talking about Tommy Stevens. So this is an LSU podcast. So the reason why I'm bringing this up is because this story involves Joe Brady and Sean Payton. Um, I think we might have mentioned Tommy Stevens in passing last week or something, but like, did you have Jeff Duncan has a great piece in the athletic right now. Did you have any idea what had gone down with, uh, with Stevens before, before you read Duncan's piece? Absolutely not. I, I had absolutely no idea. And it's just, and obviously I know you're going to explain it, but I mean, that is, it's the ultimate Sean Payton story. It's the ultimate kind of, when you know it's it's two of the brighter offensive minds in the NFL that, that that most of us know of right now, kind of having a very outside the box idea at the same time. I just think there's so many wrinkles there, and just the ultimate story of how competitive some of these dudes are. But you can tell it. Yeah. So so for for those that don't know, Jeff Duncan, who is actually working on a book on the Breeze Payton era right now, he, he's very respected, great sports writer, um, been covering the Saints forever. Well, I guess uh, now, now I mean, I, I think obviously Sean Payton like gave him all these details and gave him this story because he wants it to be out there that the, how this all went down. But um, Sean Payton being the innovative coach that he is uh, during the draft, uh, they uh, the Saints feel like they have a really good roster. They don't have any spots available or it's going to be really hard for any late picks to make the team. And so they end up going all in on three guys. Right. I mean. They traded four picks to trade up and get the tight end Troutman, and and that was their draft. They got three guys on their top forty. They said, and they they call it a day. Well, then they start looking at undrafted free agents, and they kind of fall in love with Tommy Stevens. And you're like, what the fuck, dude? Tommy Stevens? He could even be out Garrett Trader with his old coach at Mississippi State for the job. But then it's like, well, not Tommy Stevens to play quarterback. It's Tommy Stevens to maybe be that Taysom Hill backup, and um. And so, and so they, you know, they're calling him, but it turns out who else but Joe Brady and the Panthers are already in on Tommy Stevens. And 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 do do you do you remember the exact numbers off the top of your head, Brody? I remember one exact number, but at this point, an undrafted bidding war started that I had never seen before. I've never heard of guaranteed contracts for undrafted free agents. I mean, these are guys that don't even make the team the majority of the times. I know about I know about uh or I mean, I know about signing bonuses, right? And those get big, but I've never heard of guaranteeing a portion of the money. Well, a bidding war breaks out and eventually the Saints like blow the Panthers off out of the water. They offer 144,000 guaranteed. He could not even make the team and he could get that money and Stevens Camp goes radio silent. They, they 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 shut him out. Um, of course, uh, what was the 
What was the in that the Panthers had with uh, – oh, it was Joe Brady at Penn State, right? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah Joe duh, Brady was yes. GA and probably when, the guy coaching him mainly. Yeah, so Joe Brady's own origin when he's up there and uh, he's learning – um, he, 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 him and Tommy Stevens know each other. So he, he's got him already committed to the Panthers. Saints blew their offer out of the water. They were still standing strong. They felt like they're Lord of the Panthers. Joe Brady, he knows him. Well, that's when Sean Payton gets a little pissed. Uh, and I think he gets pissed for a couple reasons. He obviously does want to lose to the Panthers. They're in the division, but he really don't want to lose to Joe Brady. A- am I off base here? I feel like Payton and, and this is very media sports talky, right? because we like making a lot of stuff. But I feel like when Peyton has talked about Brady publicly at times, he's kind of gotten in a little bit of shots here and there. Or he's kind Absolutely. of gotten in these comments like, yeah, that's basically our stuff that he's now claiming. Absolutely. And, and, I, and I mean, I don't think it's a, a secret that, I mean, I heard a lot when, when Brady came over and whatnot that they weren't happy that he left. And they were kind of grooming yeah. him to be one of their guys. And it was kind of, I mean, I think they still have a lot of love for Joe Brady. And I think, He's still kind of a someone that Brady talks to, but yeah, I think there's a there's a lot of bitterness involved. So it's definitely it reeks of a hey, like welcome to the league, rookie kind of kind of move by Sean. Yeah, Payton. so so what ends up happening is uh, the Saints end up being like they're like fuck it, dude. Let's take like a six round pick next year. We'll trade back into the late seventh. We'll take this catch. So they get the pick. They end up taking. And this is very telling. So they end up taking Tommy Stevens. And these two texts that Peyton fires off are very telling to me. Or the two calls, texts that he makes. First, first he texts Joe Brady. Texts Joe Brady not so fast, which that's the welcome to the league moment, right? I love that, yeah. dude. Like, oh, you think you're slick. You think you had me. Get the fuck out of here. So he texts Joe Brady not so fast. And then he calls uh, Tommy Stevens. He said, look. I'm tired of asking. Now I'm taken. You're mine. You belong to me now. And it's just, it's so, it's 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 so good on on so many levels. Um, it immediately shows Joe Brady that you know what he's dealing with now. Like, okay, this is the ruthlessness of the NFL. You're an NFL coordinator. These are the competitive links that people are 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 uh, are willing to go to. And it even speaks to Joe Brady's continued um creativity and continued kind of homage to like sean payton right like joe brady wants to i okay do you feel comfortable in saying this with their interest in tommy stevens i I feel like there's no doubt that they want to create a hybrid type of position the same way that the saints have absolutely I i don't think there's any doubt about that yeah and and so brady not scared a lot of teams feel scared of that concept Joe Brady doesn't. He's had a lot of success in the lessons that he learned from Sean Payton. He wants to go there immediately. Payton shuts him down. And here's Tommy Stevens, like the most irrelevant seventh-round quarterback ever. Like nobody – I mean, when you hear that he got drafted, your immediate thing's like, why? Why would anybody draft Tommy Stevens to play quarterback? And here he is at the centerpiece of this story. And, And you know what the funniest part is? Now I'm actually kind of hyped on Tommy Stevens as this – Six five. He's saying he's two fifty right now. Uh, kind of Taysom Hill backup, like the the same way that we talk about twelve defensive starters with uh, you know your Nickelback thrown in there. The Saints are kind of making the case to have like twelve offensive starters with this kind of hybrid H back do it all flex type of player. Yeah, and the thing is, it's also ultimately telling that. The Saints can afford to just like give up a pick and take this guy in the seventh round, and if it doesn't work out, it's a seventh round pick, right? So they have no issue cutting the guy. Yeah, but they can do that because they're the Saints and they're one of the most stable teams in the league, and they're maybe the best top to bottom team in the league right now. And when you're really good, you can just kind of make moves like this to try to make your team better. While the Panthers are a team rebuilding and they can't waste picks or anything like that, so it's just the ultimate flex, and it's the ultimate. Sean Payton's probably bored as hell in quarantine, <laughs> stuck in. His 
his house during a draft. And he's and he also they had no picks that day, so That's they true. just like had nothing to do. And he's like, hey, let's have some fun, you know? Like that has to be what this was, right? It was just like he's bored. His this guy's trying to take his thing. He even says in the story, he's like, we invented the position. Like, yeah, yeah, we invented wait, the role. He, like, says, he says, we know the role. We invented the role, motherfucker. Like, like well, not I, I added so, on the. I was gonna say it's been a heavy F word <laughs> podcast for you, and I just want to. Uh, somebody's clearly feeling the the dad role right now, and just needs to let some steam out. But yeah, I, right, I think it's just subconscious. I apologize, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I just I feel like it's the ultimate. Like he's bored and he just wants to win at something right now moment. Because why would he care? He already has the Taysom Hill. Yeah. Why does he need a Taysom Hill backup? Okay, but but, no but but need. no 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 no. But see, that's where I'll maybe push back a little bit because that's where he gets fascinating to me. That's where I get into the twelve starter thing. If if he is really going to commit to this Taysom Hill role, you have to have depth, right? You can't spend uh, resources and time and and you know developing this scheme and this playbook, and then okay, if this guy goes down, well then it's all thrown by the wayside. Like arguably, that's a bad use of resources. If you start getting a backup there, like somebody who can do. Uh, you know, in the neighborhood, the the only okay. So this is my only big question about all of this, and my big my big red flag is that I think everybody undervalues just how athletic Taysom Hill is and all this because that's the thing is Taysom Hill is fast like for anybody. You put Taysom Hill on any NFL team, and he might be like top five fastest on the entire team. So I wonder, Steven's not he's fast, but he's not that fast. I wonder if he'll have the same levels of success. But the point is, I feel like with the money they paid Hill, right, ten million. Uh, I, 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 what was it? Ten million a year? No, no, no. Well, no, I don't have the number in front of me. I'm, I'm gonna look it up. I'm, I'm, I'm blanking right now. But they paid Taysom Hill. They want him to have a larger role in this offense. He is not the backup quarterback. Two years, twenty-one million. You're right. Okay, there you go. And sixteen guaranteed. They paid that man. They so, and he's not the backup. Jameis Winston's a backup. So this is a new position, and they're gonna commit a significant portion of the playbook and game planning to this position. I mean, you don't pay somebody $10 million if you ain't going to give them like 20, 30 snaps a game. And so what happens if Taysom Hill goes down? Are you just going to be screwed? I feel like Sean Payton is really now trying to develop. I mean, Sean Payton has been at the forefront of offensive evolution for years now. And I yeah. feel like he is legitimately, he loves this idea that, and, and, and coaches are prideful. Tell me Sean Payton doesn't love the idea that he created a new NFL position. Absolutely. Like he exactly, dude, he is going to try to do everything he can to make this work. And so it's like all of a sudden Tommy Stevens goes from being like, why the hell would you ever draft that guy? It's completely irrelevant as a quarterback to now he's like a player of real interest. And and his like potential success levels could have impacts not just on the Saints, but when you look at Joe Brady and other teams, like teams around the league, it's just so crazy how sometimes like a story that I heard about originally and had no interest for has just spiraled into something so much larger and potentially so much more impactful. I mean, well, first off, well said. I mean, you actually talked me into it, so I think you're yeah. absolutely right. The last, yeah. the last thing I'll say is. Poor Tommy Stevens, because now the seventh <laughs> round pick has actual pressure on him to fill a role in the, the all the context of the story. That he is screwed. That's you all. Know what, you know what's messed up? I don't know about seventh round picks guaranteed money, but I feel like I don't know if they get 144k guaranteed. So what if he does suck and then he just gets cut? He could actually make less money than he would have if he had been a uh, an undrafted free agent. Because the world is the world is funny that way. Um. All right. Uh, next on the list, as we uh, oh wow, we are we are pretty much out of time. Um. Okay. Then I'm, we're gonna do one more fun thing real quick. Yeah, I compared the uh, 2019 LSU football team to Star Wars characters, and I wonder what you think. Uh, first, Brody, what is your Star Wars history? Do you do you know Star Wars? Have you seen them all? Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, I'm a, a diehard Star Wars fan. I've read okay. a good amount of the extended, you know, universe books and whatnot. Oh, like I am a, okay. a nice Star Wars flex. nerd. I think I'd say like a solid ten to fifteen percent less than you, but I am much more. Well, than I've, I've never read original extended universe. I've read some of the new canon stuff, but when I was a kid, I mean, like I'm not no, pretending I'm, I'm still that's like, a nice well versed. That's a nice yeah. leg up. Um, okay, okay. So then you might appreciate that. this. So I took the. I, it was going to be 2019 LSU players as Star Wars characters. It ended up being. 
just 2019 offense and I know I was, that was gonna be my big or, and, and or, I, 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 I well look if like, you where's Grant Elpit that's what I'm saying if you if you have ideas for that take him there because this is just where my head went naturally all right yeah, let's go one by one and I'll just give you because I agree with a good amount of your list but I'll I'll give you my my disagreement when it comes to down your list okay we'll start obvious Joe Burrow is Luke Skywalker uh like the humble Midwestern farm boy um the chosen one um great potential right mr ohio but still like didn't get his nebraska offer kind of a circuitous route to power if you will i mean burrow skywalker how do you feel burrow luke i should say yeah so i I think there's just no argument with that one that one is of all of this the most just obvious and there's nothing really to debate about it that's the perfect one my wife just hit me with the i guess when she heard me say Joe Burrow, Luke Skywalker, and then what? And Even then borderline looks like him. No, in no, but then she said he's more like Han Solo, and all that means is she wants to have sex with Joe Burrow. Yeah, that's tough. To like, find out I mean, that's one that's that tough is to learn. Yeah. One thousand percent. Because yes, he's you're cocky. Together, yeah. He's cocky, but like you only say that if you want to bang Harrison Ford and you want to bang Joe Burrow. Wow, wow. It must okay. be tough every now and then when you like come home from work and all of a sudden you're like. Why are you watching the LSU game right yeah. now? Why are you watching the Heisman yeah. speech? And then like, oh it, it has a whole new context. Yeah. Uh, okay, so All Joe right, Burrow's so a no-brainer. Um, yeah. Steve Insminger is Obi-Wan Kenobi. Uh, been in the game forever. Um, but like Obi-Wan, had kind of disappeared for a while, right? Had been willing to accept this background role. And then all of a sudden, you know, the the the, the one comes along. The chosen one. And he is forced back to the four. And Obi-Wan is humble. Obi-Wan is selfless. And Obi-Wan does what has to be done. It's Steven Sminger. So I think it's a solid case. I'm not going to aggressively go against it. But I actually, and this will jump ahead to one of your other picks, I actually kind of think Ed Ogeron might be a better Obi-Wan than a Yoda and also a better Obi-Wan than than Ensminger is. Okay, okay, explain yourself. Well, first off, I just as much you know as much credit as I want to give that Ogeron, Ed Ogeron, all those things. I just don't think of him as a Yoda. I just don't. And but then you go on. Well, to hold my, on though. Hold on. Know, though. It, but now we're going to get into a conversation about what's Yoda's actual resume. I know Yoda's resume. I know, and we can get to that next. But okay. I want to say, okay, okay you're right. You're I okay, think Obi Wan. I think a, a big part of Obi Wan, which by the way applies to Ensminger too. I'm not arguing that, but as I try to make the pieces work, yeah. I just think Obi Wan is defined by his failure. And needs to steer, you know, and that's that is the ultimate Ed Ogeron story. I mean, Ensminger has failures, but Ensminger was never a failure. Ensminger is just your definition of a journeyman, you know. Okay. Ogeron was defined by his failure yep. and had to, and basically was the the ultimate kind of like lead, like mentor figure to push something forward into the plot and whatnot. And he's the guy who took him from Ohio State, gave him a chance, and pushed him into his future. I just think I think of Ogeron as Obi Wan. Okay, so here's the problem with that. Um, first off, Yoda is the ultimate character defined by their failure. Obi-Wan was taking orders on behalf of Yoda. And yes, you could argue that Obi-Wan failed with Anakin, but everything was more Yoda. Yoda helped to en- Yoda helped to engineer a galactic war that cost trillions of lives. And the entire time he's doing it, He's taking orders from the guy that he is supposed to hunt down. There is almost no character in cinematic history that has failed harder than Yoda. Also, when Yoda retreats to Dagobah, it is because he is truly broken. Uh, Obi-Wan is broken as well, but he retreats in order to be, uh, or or he, he still has a bit of a mission. He still goes to the wild. He still is a hermit. He still is a broken man. But if he could do one thing, he can protect the chosen one. He can protect Luke. And actually, uh, spoilers, spoilers. If you have not seen Star Wars Rebels, turn it <laughs> off. You can come back in 30 seconds. Turn it off now. Um, now. Okay, three, two, one. So Star Wars Rebels, season three, episode 20, is Twin Sons. It is an episode where Darth Maul goes to Tatooine Uh, to hunt down obi-wan and he figures out he's like oh look at you you're broken you're sad and he's like wait a second you're here for something you're doing something you're protecting someone and then obi-wan fires up the lightsaber and he kills maul 
Okay, so Obi-Wan, that's like Ensminger's tight end coach phase. Yes, he, he had been fired. He kind of retreated. He was comfortable. He's Obi-Wan. He's living in the caves. And then along comes Joe Burrow, along comes Luke, and it brings him out of that. Yoda, he, he would just completely failed. He had completely failed. He had no mission. He was just in Dagobah being a crazy old man. And 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 Luke brought him back to the fore and brought the best out in him. So that's why Innsmaker's Obi and Edo is uh, Yoda. Okay, but that's fine. We can disagree, but that's just I, I've said my piece. Do you have anything? Well, I think I'll just throw my last two cents of my person. I think Yoda should be, and this is very inside baseball, and it doesn't fit the failure narrative of Yoda. And I think you said that very well. But I was just kind of thinking, if I'm thinking Yoda, I mean, just the the general context of Yoda, Yoda, and the way everyone thinks of Yoda is wisdom, right? It's this wise, yes. Which, although even though you're right, he actually made some very stupid decisions. <laughs> but that might. Well, um, you know what? But, I, okay, in Yoda's defense, I think it speaks more to Palpatine's power than Yoda's failure. It just. I pal- actually think pal- it has more to do with George Lucas writing a bad prequel series oh that kind of made. Oh my god! Okay. I mean, that's okay. that's the actual like. If we're sometimes it's like we 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 attribute bad writing to like, character traits, and sometimes it's like no, I think that was George Lucas being kind of lazy and just making some like nonsense decisions that like made this all happen. Anyway, no, no. Um, nonsense decision is but, deciding that Palpatine. Whatever, I can't get into Palpatine rises. Uh, yeah, well, anyway. But no, this is inside baseball, and it doesn't completely fit. But I just kind of in my head almost thought of somebody as like a of a Jack Marucci as a Yoda, just in the sense that Yoda is attached to wisdom and all these things and guidance and all those things. And I think Jack Marucci is the closest thing to a a Yoda like figure around the LSU football community. Uh, Personality his, his wise, just, yes. But yeah. the, but the only problem is there is generally people think of Yoda as like the leader of all the good guys, right? And yeah, you're, right. you're just you, it's you're not, not perfect. You're not gonna get there with Jack, but 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 you're right. Actual personality wise, a thousand percent, Yoda and Jack Marucci are the same. Jack even has like some interesting cadence when he talks. That's a little similar <laughs> to. Uh, I mean, it's not similar to Yoda, but it's like similar in that it's you. There's something there. Yeah. Yes. Um, okay. Uh, so right, that's Insminger and Joe Burrow. And I have another disagreement on our next one. Um, so I don't know what list you're looking at. I'm looking at. I, I, I think this is the same one. So Joe Brady is Han Solo, uh, and I see why. It young, makes sense. brash, cocksure, and and this is why I just landed here, and I didn't even think about it beyond that. Is because in A New Hope. Han Solo literally has the spaceship that takes Luke and Obi-Wan to the next level. Well, you know, Joe Brady literally has the spaceship that takes Ensminger and Burrow to the next level. So I just think you have to return here with the Joe Brady-Han Solo comparison is that Han Solo is like the ultimate sidekick, right? He is the well, not, sidekick's not even the right term, but you get my point. He is like a core three character all the way through, and, he, and a lot of the character traits work with, with Joe Brady, but... I almost think of Joe Brady more as a Lando Calrissian in that oh, okay. you know, he has a lot of those same personality traits, a lot yeah. of similar personality That's traits a great point. as Han Solo. Basically the same, ultimate cool guy, but leaves and screws them over and all those things. He, well, he and, and, and though, like Lando, I love this now, because like Lando, he does it for understandable reasons. Who wouldn't want to be an NFL yeah, coordinator and get paid? And, you know, Lando had a lot of people to think about. He's one of the most interesting characters in Star Wars because his decisions were not that black and white. Like, he had an entire group of people that were depending on him. So, yeah, he had to strike a deal with the Empire. So, yeah, that's my... And also then you just add the the simple thought of Lando is more of a... Was really important, but then is kind of in and out, which just kind of, uh, you know, from far away point of view, kind of fits Brady a little more. Cause he was no, I love that. this, but, dude. I, lo- I think you're right. I'm willing, I'm changing my list. My, but then it makes Han Solo. So who is Han Solo? I think there's a lot of candidates. Okay, so who? So I think there's a lot of candidates here, and I think I don't. I don't have a strong take on who it should be. I just think there's some. I think a Jamar Chase would make sense there because he has some of those similar yes. traits. Yeah, and he is yeah. Let's just flip him because so, he's had, the number two. You're right, yeah. and I had Jamar as Lando, and that felt bad because he was so outside the story. But Brady, yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, we'll just flip them. So, right, see, Jamar Chase is Han Solo because he's young, brash, cocksure. He'll have sex with your wife. And then Joe Brady is Lando because he's young, brash, cocksure, and he'll have sex with your wife. But he's not there all the time, right? He's, <laughs> he's a little more opportunistic. Uh, ooh, ooh, Brody, nice job. Okay, we're flipping right. those. You're right. Um, okay, R2-D2. I have uh, – okay, yeah, so I have – I think this one fits. I have Clyde Edwards-Elair as R2-D2. 
Uh, that Joe, one I wanted really badly to argue because it was just so on the nose. Yeah. Like, it's, like, boring. But yeah. it just, yeah, it, it works. They're boys, dude. Burrow said Clyde's his best friend, who's Luke's best friend. You could argue it's R2. It's, like, who's always with him. Super versatile. I mean, it's even down to the fact that they're both short. Right? I was like, going to say, the size like, is too I mean, on the like, nose. They, Clyde looks like R2-D2 out there. It's, like, it's perfect. <laughs> Uh, don't sleep on R2, too. I mean, the prequels upped no, R2's power level consist or, uh, considerably when he sk- squirts out the oil and then lights those battle droids on fire. Um, okay, right, We do so, have to keep rolling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Whoa, 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 whoa. I got my eye on the clock. Don't you worry there, Brody. All right. Um, be a team player. Justin Jefferson is Princess Leia. Um, I didn't you, love it, okay, but, but I couldn't but, come up with but, a better but one. But you get the logic, though. You think I you're do. rescuing him, one. but he's rescuing you. You think you're doing the Jefferson family, a.k.a. LSU royalty, much like Princess Leia of Alderaan. You think that they, they think they're rescuing Leia. Next thing you know, she's like, hey, laser brain, you dummy. Give me that gun. Pow, pow, pow. And all of a sudden, she's leading the way. Justin Jefferson came out of nowhere junior year, took over, continued that into senior year. Um, also... Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase love each other. Okay, <laughs> I was going to make that and Han Solo yeah. love each other. So Justin Jefferson is Princess Leia. I can't come up with a better one, but the yep. only one I was just going to throw out just for conversation point purposes was Christian Fulton was kind of held captive with a two year suspension, and then he ended up uh, being a key figure. Okay, but, but I, that's not a great one. No, I but yet. but but that that's a that's a you know that is a connection. It's just that I, I don't know, man. When I did this, it just it all went offense. No. It just went offense naturally. Um, okay. Chewbacca, Lloyd Cushingberry. I don't love this. I just knew that I wanted to make an O-lineman Chewbacca because to me, Chewbacca is, I've always found him representative of the O-line mentality. He's like a glue guy. Um, he doesn't get when the you glory. you nailed it from the point of view of, yeah, you're, the part you nailed in your tweet was that I think, you know, I didn't love it at first either, but you nailed it with the sense that like Chewbacca is the guy who is by far the most beloved of all of them between character to character, the yep. one that everybody likes the most, one who kind of brings everyone together. Seems like probably the best person of all of them next yep. to maybe Luke. So I think Lloyd just kind of Lloyd Cushenberry fits that. I mean, everybody loves Lloyd, and uh, Lloyd has a six eleven wingspan, which is pretty Crazy, damn yeah. Chewbacca like. Um, but but I think the ultimate thing is. Look, like I said, Chewbacca's an alignment man who doesn't get a medal at the end of New Hope, right? But does he ever complain? <laughs> does he ever care? No, man, because he's just about winning. He's about doing what he can for the team. He's about keeping his friends safe. That's Lloyd Cushberry. That's Chewbacca. Um, I, I don't love this one. Thad Moss is C-3PO. Yeah, um, I really didn't like that. But again, I, there's just nobody that makes a... a he's he's another kind of glue guy. Uh, you tend to overlook him a bit. What ultimately sold him for me, though, is that C-3PO in the original trilogy has a silver lower leg, and Thad Moss has been having to deal with a broken foot and ankle. So it's like the same thing. Yeah, it works for me. I, I don't. I know strong one there. Uh, and then, and then we, I guess we've hit the other ones. So yeah. So we have uh, Nick Saban as Vader. Chose one to the side of evil. Wait, then who's the emperor? I've thought about it a lot, man. I don't know. The only bummer what would be if Ohio State and LSU actually played in the championship, you could have a lot of fun there with the Burrow Vader yeah. kind of thing. Oh yeah, it didn't work out that way. Um, our, but shouldn't uh, Saban be Vader? I've always felt like Saban's the emperor, but Saban's like good side to dark side turn, and like him being the chosen one for LSU to have been being their greatest enemy. Like I just, I think Saban has to be Vader. I just don't know. There's a great comp for the Emperor. Um, So our producer, Sammy Flavors, said that uh, to her, freshmen in the student section are like porgs. Um, They're all over the place. They're kind of cute, but they're kind of completely useless on the whole. I like that. I like it. And then uh, Auburn are the Ewoks. Um, they do a lot of kind of funny little song and dances, like they're two bits, four bits. And uh, you know what? In their own way, they helped defeat the Empire. Like like when, okay. they, when they ran up against the rebels, they got got. But you know what they did? They, they, they dropped the tree that crushed the, you know, the, the ATST and everything. And, and they, 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 they played their role in the Battle of Indoor. All Auburn right. did. They kept Alabama out of the playoff. I'm going to throw a few more out there to speed round. Yeah, uh, hit me, hit me. 
So, you know, you're looking for a, a job of the hut. I think you got to go with uh, Derek Brown. He's the closest anyone actually got to really beating LSU. And, and Jabba was the one who almost killed a lot of them. So oh I think Derek God, Brown works. Dude, I love that so much. I love that so much. Um, couldn't come up with a great Boba Fett, but I'm going to go with Trevor Lawrence. I just think that's probably, you know. Yeah, in, good, in that you know, he looks foe. good as hell, but it's the most, like, underwhelming actual performance ever. That's perfect. That's true. Um <laughs> You know, but I've been wanting to ask you a key one. I think all of our listeners are interested too. Is who's your Grand Moff Tarkin? Um. Oh, I had an idea for Tarkin, and now I can't remember. Who do you have for Tarkin? I didn't have one, but it was actually it was more a joke, if anything. But whoa, whoa, whoa! whoa. I don't what's know. Wrong, maybe, what's wrong with Grand Moff Tarkin, dude? He's maybe deserving. like Dan Mullen's Grand Moff Tarkin. <laughs> <laughs> kind of rubs everyone the wrong yes, way, but dude, people kind of like him at the end of the day in a strange way. Oh man! Now I um, just wish that I wish that Dan Mullen had high cheekbones, and it would be perfect. Uh, um, Tim Beck is Owen Lars. Who wait? Who who's Tim? Beck? That's not the dad that Luke wanted, but you know. Who wait? Who who, who is Tim Beck? Oh, he was the he was the OC at Ohio State, but like not the one who recruited, but not the one who recruited Burrow. You know, like Tom Herman recruited him, but then he's like, he just, and he didn't want Tim Beck. He's telling Burrow like, "No, I need your help here. You can't go to LSU yet. I'll let you go next season. I promise." And then he ended up being the well, it doesn't quite work because then he ended up being the OC at Texas. That but yeah. oh, Lars never became the bad guy. Dude. But, um, yeah, that is really good. Any more before we sign off? I just like this was this doesn't connect, but it's just really stupid. Like, who would be a Darth Maul? Oh Jesus, Jesus, Jesus! Okay, Jalen I feel like Hurts, prequels. You almost have to reach back. I mean, Jalen Hurts is interesting, right? Because he beat you at Alabama, and then he kind of comes back from the dead. Tua cuts him in half, and then he comes Ooh. back from the dead, and he tries you All again, right. and ultimately he loses. Well but he's got that story arc. And yeah, well yeah, right. yeah. Okay, stumbled into that one. Jalen Accident. Hurts. There you go, dude. Brody, you're good at this Star Wars game. Fuck, dude. We should have played this earlier, but we do have to go. Um, so, yeah, we do, uh, everybody, have a great day. If you enjoy the Hold That Podcast podcast, like it, share it, and um, yeah, and sign up at The Athletic, okay? Athletic.com slash Hold That Podcast, 40% off. You can see Brody Miller's work, Jeff Duncan's, Larry Holder's, like it's Cat Terrell. It's all great Louisiana riders, great national riders. There's no ads. It really is incredible, y'all. I'm not bullshitting you. It is the best and buy your meats and they very special to meats uh everybody have a great day and we'll see you on next week's hold that podcast podcast